that I've ever preached. It was uh, the worst sermon I'd ever preached, but it was one of the first ones. So I get a little credit for that. Uh, and now, your opinion may differ than mine on this one. You may have thought last week's sermon was the worst. There's an old joke that uh, a, a woman who is harassing the preacher, um, trying to do so ever so slightly, uh, would come by every week and say, you know, each of your sermons are better than the next. Wait for it. So they would, they, you sometimes you want to, but make this, I think this is one of the worst ones I've ever preached. Uh, mainly because it was hacky. I don't know if you know the phrase hacky. It's not the sack that most of you enjoy so thoroughly. Uh, it's, it's actually, uh, when you're a hack, you just do the thing that, just the first thing that came to your head. You don't actually work at it and try to form a new thought or a new opinion or a new perspective or a new angle. You just think, oh, well, this is, yeah, Jesus calmed the storm. Jesus can calm the storms of your life. I preached that one too, and that was pretty bad. Thank you. We'll get more money in just a second. Uh, so there, there is a, um, there's a tendency sometimes when, you, when you're running out of time or you don't know what to say, just to say the first thing that comes to your head. And oftentimes in Scripture, that's not necessarily true. It's not helpful anyway. Uh, and so the, the, the passage that we have today is one that I've, I've heard preached a hundred times and it was my turn to preach it, and I preached it the way I'd heard it preached a hundred times, and I've gotten to the point where I think I was just dead wrong. Um, but we'll look at it. This is the letter to the Laodicean church. I'll go over here and read it. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, Revelation three verse fourteen. To the angel in the church of um, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. These are. Hey, could you mute this this input one? Thank you. To the angel in the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. And here comes the passage of Scripture that you've probably heard most from the, re- the letters to the churches in Revelation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. All right, I'd heard this preach, and maybe you've heard this preach, a hundred times over. And I thought I was going to do a really good job of it. I thought I was going to... What I did was I got three chairs. So I had three chairs up there. Guess what? They represented the three options in this, in this letter. So we've got the hot chair, the cold chair, and then the lukewarm chair. And so what I said was, God would rather you be on fire for him than just mediocre. He'd actually rather you be cold, which was just what I thought represented not not even following him. He'd rather you not follow him at all than follow him and be sort of in the middle, a meh Christian. He would rather you not follow him at all than follow him poorly. And that was nonsense. And I think every time you've heard it preached that way, they've misunderstood the text. And maybe even just misunderstood the concept of cold water. 
The Laodicean church was built, was in a town called Laodicea. See, that was easy. Laodicea uh, was, a, was a specifically designed town to be an influential town as far as banking goes, as far as um, military goes. Laodicea was right in the center of everything, and they had a lot going for them. Uh, they were well known for their banking. They were well known. They had uh, a, a great export in black cloth, which was a difficult, black wool, actually. They would export black wool. And they also, they had a, a medicinal center that was really good for, um, that, that had developed a medicine. Um, I'm going to say medicine because salve is really hard for me to say. Salve. It just doesn't flow off, it like gets stuck in my throat. But anyway, medicine for the eyes, they put on the eyes and there was a, a, a healing medicine for the eyes. They, had, they were well known for all these beneficial things. And so because of that, they'd become a quite wealthy city. Actually, there was an earthquake in AD 60, just a few years before uh, Rebel, this letter was written. And, and Rome offered them financial help. And they said, no, we got it, we're good. They didn't want to be in debt to Rome. So they just handled it themselves, like Ford. That was a stock market joke, but none of you got it, apparently. And also, it was back to 08, so maybe I'm kind of behind times on that one. Uh, so anyway, they, they said, no thanks, we don't need your help, we don't need your bailout, we're just going to move right on ahead. And they were wealthy enough to do that on their own, and they succeeded. And so because of these exports, because of these, this black wool and their banking system, and because of their, um, their medicinal system, they had enough money. The thing that they lacked, the thing that Laodicea lacked was a water source. They had everything that you could think of in the world, but they didn't have any water in their town. Their their two major competitors, Hierapolis and Colossae, had water. They had actually great water. In Hierapolis, um, they had these these healing streams, these these little spas, like hot springs. They had these springs that would come up out of the ground. They were hot, and you could get into the hot springs, and you could heal. They would relax your muscles. They they, they had these healing waters in Hierapolis. In Colossae, they had these, these fresh springs that came up, and they were, it was just cold water coming out of the ground. And so Hierapolis had this, this hot water that was healing, and, uh, and Colossae had this cold water that was refreshing. But Laodicea had to pipe in their water from a town about 15 miles away. Now there was hot water in a town 15 miles away, it wasn't Hierapolis. Um, but they piped it in, and by the time hot water gets through a pipe, it's no longer hot, and it's no longer cold, what is it? It's lukewarm. And because of the, there, it wasn't just the lukewarmness of the water, but it was also, um, there were some mineral deposits in the cliffs where the water came out. Um, and by the time it got to Laodicea, people would drink the water and they would get physically ill. Even to this day in this area, if you want, a, if you want some water, you have, to, you have to get it, boil it, set it out for a while. You can't drink it right away. Colossae, it's refreshing cold water. In Hierapolis, it's healing hot water. And in Laodicea, it's lukewarm water that was making people sick. 
So when he says here, you, because you are neither hot nor cold, you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The Greek word there is actually, I'm about to vomit you up. The uh, translators don't like to throw... Every once in a while, there's a really harsh word in the Bible. Translators typically lighten it. Paul swears, I think, twice in Scripture, and we've modified it a bit. Philippians 3 is one place. Go find it. You'll get bonus points. So, um, (laughs) I'm really excited about what's about to happen after church. I found it. Uh, So, this is something these people are are used to. Now, when, when we, we've read back on to the text, cold being a bad thing. When is cold water bad? It's not. It's very useful. When is hot water always, or always, that's a good thing. We recognize that as a good thing because we, we've developed this language of you got to be on fire for the Lord. What here... Here, he's not asking us to be on fire for the Lord. He's asking us to be useful. I would rather you be hot and have a use or be cold and have a use. Cold water isn't like just abandoning Jesus altogether. It's being a useful thing. The problem is, is when you're neither one or the other, when you're not a useful Christian, what happens is oftentimes we become very complacent in how exactly and who exactly we are, the level of income we have, and we're we're very comfortable. And just because you're rich doesn't mean you're right. Just because you're wealthy doesn't mean you're wise. So God has a God has a, a, a claim against the church in Laodicea, and it's not just because. Not because they're, they've, they've somehow become sort of a middle-of-the-road Christian. It's because they don't have a use. They they've have become complacent, and in their complacency, they think they've got it all together. And thinking you have it all together is the first step to having it all wrong. Jesus calls them to have a use. Be worth something. The problem the world has with most churches is that they're just flat worthless. And I think that's actually a a claim to which we can plead guilty. Not us necessarily, but most churches, we can say, Christians for a while have been sitting in our pews and we've been preaching to the people who aren't in our church. Well, the world needs to change. The world needs to change. If you think the world needs to change, look in the mirror. There's the world standing right there in front of you, brushing its teeth. You're it. And what the world needs from us is not a new message of, of, uh, uh, well, you got to improve and you got to get better and you got to be morally right. What the world needs from us is the Savior who makes us useful. Not the religion that makes us complacent and useless. What the world needs from us is the Messiah that walked out of the tomb. Jesus says to them, if you are, I I know your deeds, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, it makes me physically ill. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, 
I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize, you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You don't get it. The, the problem with most of us, at least let, let me just say this might be just me, but the problem with me is I don't really realize when I'm wrong. I don't realize when I'm in the wrong most of the time. That's just the worst feeling when you're having an, uh, an, an accelerated conversation with your spouse. In theory. And, you, and, and you're, you're saying, well, this and that. And they say, well, this and that. And I say, well, this and that. And they say, well, this and that. And I, say, and I think, oh. It's the worst feeling when you realize you're wrong and you've been wrong for a long time. We don't know we're wrong. And that's, the pro- that's my problem. And I would venture to guess that's your problem. If we knew we were wrong, we wouldn't do the thing or we wouldn't say the thing. You think what you think because you think it's right. In most people's minds, in most of our minds, we're never wrong. Yeah, I've been mistaken a few times, but I corrected it immediately. Well, how long were you mistaken? And could that happen again? Because if it could happen again, it's happening now. They say, I am rich, I've got wealth, I've got it all together. We figured it out. He said, but you don't realize you're everything that you thought you aren't. You're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Do y'all hear, do y'all hear their, their um, three exports there? Poor, banking system. Blind, sad for the eyes. Naked, wool, black wool. He keeps playing on that. Verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shamefulness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He takes what they know and he says, you think you've got it all together and you've got it all wrong. And the main problem with thinking you have it all together is you become complacent, you become pretty useless. God's not necessarily looking for on-fire Christians 100% of the time. I will argue that if you try, try that life, you'll wear out fast. He even told the people of Israel coming up out of Egypt, he said, seventh day, guess what you get to do? Go to church? No. Rest. Take a break. Relax. In the name of God, take some time to regenerate and to feel better and to feel um, more close to God. Because sometimes you're going to do things well and do things well and try hard and try hard and you're going to feel pretty burnt out and you think, I just can't do it. No, you can't. You can't do it all. Well, I teach Sunday school class. I teach a Wednesday night class. I go to Sunshine Club. I, have, I come here and I, 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 I lead this and I do the KFC and I, 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 I'm in charge of songs and I, whatever. Tap the brakes at times. Take a break. 
I would argue that you can't be on fire 100% of the time. I think there are going to be times where you need to be at rest and you need to calm down and slow down so that when the time comes for you to serve and be hot again, sometimes you need to be refreshing, sometimes you need to be healed. All right. He says, but you've got to buy from me gold. And for me, white clothes. And for me, medicine for your eyes. It's only in Jesus that we can find the sort of strength that we need to be the sort of Christian that he calls us to be. Their problem is that they thought their strength came from their possessions, from their successes. They thought their strength came from one thing, but it should be coming from Jesus. And the reason they were useless, the reason Jesus says you were sickening, is because you have not bought from him the things you need. Your resources, your strength, comes from yourself. You will be useless. You can't have it all together all the time. You can't be on fire all the time. Some of you are useful in ways that other of, others of you are not. But the others of you are useful in ways that the first people aren't. It's kind of a team in this. I like the, I like the imagery of team, teams and I played basketball and was in band in high school. Had my um, hands in all sorts of pots. Um, and both, in both cases, everybody plays a part. Like, not all trumpets even play the same trumpet part. First, second, third trumpet. Kind of just designate the third trumpet. Whatever he's doing. You just stay over there and don't bother anyone. First trumpet's got these flares and these trills. Triple tongue and stuff. That's a trumpet term I've researched. I didn't play the trumpet. I don't know what that feels like. I can't do it. can't do that thing. I can't do it. I just took a stick and beat something with it. It takes skill. Right, Braden? Yeah. So, like, all, and so in the band, all these things are working together, and, 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 and they're all each doing their own thing. So that the big thing can happen beautifully. Just because you don't look like other people in church doesn't mean you're not on fire for God. Just because your role isn't the same as other people's role doesn't mean that you're not on fire for God. Doesn't mean you're not useful. His problem is not with people who are cold or hot. It's people who don't have any purpose. And his problem specifically is people whose only purpose, their only purpose in all of the world is themselves. Their only strength is their own correctness. Their only, their only power is what they've, what they've already accomplished. Jesus says to those people, to us, whenever we fall into that trap, he says, buy from me something. Find from me something that will strengthen you. Find from me something that will clothe you. Find from me something. Buy from me something that will heal you. Because it's only in Jesus.
Jesus that we can have the sorts of things that he calls us to have. People who don't follow Christ can't be Christians. It just doesn't happen. So find in Jesus what you need to be useful. See, this uselessness is a realm of Christianity that we are tempted to live, to live within. Because we get to just sort of exist in ourselves. Now, you may say to me, Benjamin, I don't know what to do. Give me something to do. Love people in the name of Jesus consistently and your usefulness will be automatic strangers spouses children love them unconditionally and your usefulness will just happen I think there's also a, a prior step to that that is important. It's realizing that you do not have it all together. This isn't an indictment. It's a fact. You don't have it all together. You can't do it on your own. You can't be the sort of Christian Jesus calls you to be without Jesus. So what we're called to today is to live a life that starts with my need for something else and ends with my desire to be useful for the kingdom of God. And for you, that may look different than somebody else, but it starts with you saying, I've, I don't have it all together. I'm not always right. Uh, a saying I've, I've adopted recently is I am not married to my version of the events. I don't, I don't have to be right about what has happened or what will happen or what I don't have to be. I'm not married to it. That's been very beneficial. You don't have to be right about everything. And when you're not, it doesn't mean you're less of a person or less of a Christian. It just means you're human. And God calls us to start there. And when we start there and start loving people unconditionally, we find that usefulness just happens. You may be a hot, healing stream. Or you may be a refreshing breath of air to people around you. You may be refreshing, you may be healing. You may bring joy, you may help people be more wise, you may, whatever it is, however you are useful, it starts with a, with a, in a place of humility and is shown through in a way of love. If you need this Savior to help you be the sort of person that he has called you to be, 
And I would argue you do. But you've never accepted that Savior. So you've never been that person. You've never been united with Jesus in baptism. You've never um, experienced His love in a community like this. Maybe you've been relying on yourself way too long and you've seen where that's gotten you. And it's time to rely on the Messiah. Whatever you need this morning, I say a response to Jesus is the way to work that out. Whether that's publicly in front of the church or you grab someone and go to the back and, we, and they pray. You don't have to come forward to respond. You can go backwards and sideways. But just grab somebody, talk to them, come forward, come talk to me. But your life changes today. At least it can. If you give up yourself. And humbly and lovingly start seeking the way of Jesus. Whatever you need this morning, please come forward while we stand and sing.